Y'all know what time it is. Craig Hoffman Show, Team 980, always streaming live nationally on the free Odyssey app. It's the youngest in charge movement, Linnell Willingham, taking up the 630 tonight, an abbreviated version of the Craig Hoffman Show. What do we got after us, Anthony? We got, we got Terps basketball. Terps basketball uh, on the air after us. The fellas taking on Alcorn State. We were actually talking about Maryland Terrapins hoops before the show got started. Uh, the last time... I believe that we saw the Terps was that overtime win against Penn State. It has been a struggle for Kevin Willard's squad to start the season. Uh, it's similar to how they started last year, though. Offense taking a little bit of time uh, to get around and get in the swing of things. Hopefully they're able to take on or take down, excuse me, Alcorn State tonight. Uh, if not, then whew, there's going to be trouble in paradise uh, for those Maryland Terrapins. Plenty to get to, though. Five o'clock hour I have a guest stop by the program. David Harrison, the host of the Locked On Commanders podcast, is set to join us. I thought, you know, we could, for darn sure, use some insight from someone who's in that Washington Commanders locker room every single day. Because the past 48 hours or so, we had a certain former Washington commander come out and challenge the effort, challenge the character, challenge the culture of the Washington Commanders. That is one Montez Sweat. Uh, we'll let you hear that audio a little bit later on in the show. I want to start, though, with yesterday's news from Ron Rivera. Now, yesterday was the first time we got to hear from Ron in really what feels like forever. The team was on a bye week. The players get a well-deserved rest. A lot of them are back home um, with their families and friends. It's good to have that during the holiday season, but it honestly kind of made me forget about the old burgundy and gold. But Ron Rivera spoke yesterday, a couple of different things that he said yesterday that really catches my attention. Um, you know, it, he was asked about Sam Howell from the get-go. Hold on, Ron. We'll get to you in a second. Ron, Ron talked about Sam Howell from the get-go, and I think every show that I've done personally for the past month or so it's always been about looking ahead and figuring out what Sam Howell is going to grow and develop into. Uh, Ron was asked about more of that yesterday. He also gave us a little bit of injury news that honestly sent shockwaves through the DMV. You know, it, it happened during the game, and you know he, um, you know he, he came off for a second. They checked him, and you know he said he, he he was fine. He went back out there, finished the game, but he was still having a little bit of trouble the next morning. Um, and so they, you know, they examined him, and then they felt that he needed to get an MRI. And, uh, you know, after getting the MRI, they got for a second opinion, and then it went from there. So it was unfortunate. Uh, young man's done a great job for us and uh, really excited about uh, who, he, who he was becoming as a football player. You know, um, you know playing the, uh, the wheel backer for us, he's done a great job. You know, he had to play a little bit of the mic in some of the situations when Cody was down. But, you know, that's all part of his growth and learning, and he's done a nice job. That's Ron Rivera, head coach of the Washington Commanders, talking about Jamin Davis, who was placed on injured reserve yesterday. Uh, he had season-ending shoulder surgery, suffered that injury in the loss against Miami. First of all, I want to give kudos to Jamin, a tough SOB. He got hurt, came back into the game and finished it, and then had to get on the operating table. So it was that significant of an injury. For me, though, it honestly tells the story of what 2023 has been for Jamin Davis. It has been injury riddled. It has been full of distraction, right? 
Think about how the year started off with Jamin. He was a no-show at certain points of the offseason program because he had to deal with the legal situation. Couldn't stop speeding. Then when he comes back, didn't play particularly well. Got nicked up a little bit. You saw the knee injury hamper him at the end of camp. There was, you know, serious question about his availability going into the regular season. And now, uh, coming off of a Week 13 loss, Jamin Davis is going to be put on the shelf for the rest of the season. You saw Ron talking about Jamin's growth and development. And normally, here in the past couple of weeks or so, when Ron brings up growth and development, I roll my eyes. I get frustrated as all outdoors. Seriously. You're in year four of a five-year deal. I'm done with growth and development of this football team. That doesn't move the needle for me. I need dogs. I need results. I think Ron understands that. Yesterday, though, yesterday Ron Rivera was asked about the growth and development of Jamin Davis, and I thought it was a really good question because Jamin – Obviously going to have to have that fifth-year option picked up by the new regime, or they're going to have to make a decision as to whether or not they want to pick that option up. But I thought Ron's answer about Jamin, a Ron Rivera draft pick, was very candid. Uh, Jamin, this year, I, I think a big part of it is, you know, as a as a will linebacker, you know, playing the uh, playing that position and being able to read and get downhill, um, watching him run through and make plays, um, watching him in his coverage. You know, he, he, he got the tough assignment having to cover a lot of really good backs. And uh, he was competitive doing that. He really was. And, and again, uh, the more he played, the better he seemed to get. Sure, he made some mistakes, but, man, he was really coming along. And, and, and it's unfortunate. So, you know, um, he'll get it taken care of, and then uh, we'll go from there. We will have to go from there. Jamin Davis on injured reserve will miss the final month of the season after he had season-ending shoulder surgery yesterday. I thought Ron was very honest, and it's going to sound like excuse-making because it's Ron Rivera, and that's what we're accustomed to from him. But in terms of grading Jamin Davis, in terms of evaluating Jamin Davis and what 2023 was for him, I think he gets a grade of an incomplete for me. Um, I take the offseason hogwash into account. Um, I take into account the fact that he was a first-round pick, (laughs) I take into account the fact that he really is just beginning to scratch the surface as to what he could be. Now, I'm someone, and I know the usual man that's in this chair, Craig Hoffman, is pretty high on Jamie Davis. I'm not, and here's why. In today's day and age, where the passing game is so diverse, to where tight ends and backs are so involved, he can't cover. Let's just call it what it is. He's had moments in coverage, but he can't cover. And that's not something that I think is just all of a sudden going to switch overnight. This is a problem with Jamin Davis. So in terms of the decision that the new regime is going to have to make, is it that hard of a decision? I had someone tweet at me earlier. I believe it was Little. Tweets at me earlier and says, well, maybe they should put some weight on Jamin and turn him into a pass rusher. Ah, it's not that easy of a transition. It's not something that happens overnight. But what I will say about Jamin is love the speed, love the athleticism. Would you agree with me, though, Anthony? He's an incomplete football player 
because it's more peaks and valleys. It's more flashes than it is consistency with Jameis. I think you're onto something. And I only say I think you're onto something because Jamin was drafted to be a weak side linebacker. Yeah. He wasn't 100%. drafted to, you know, be out here, be a, a Mike linebacker. That was not what he was selected for. I get it. Exactly. So I, I just I just feel as though this is more so an indictment on the the coaching staff mm-hmm. and the the Ron Rivera regime. Um because they're drafted him, and he's being forced, you know, play out of position most of the time. It's so, tough. I mean, I don't know. You, you you put him in that that place with expectations. He doesn't live up to those expectations. Are those necessarily on him, or are they more so on Ron Rivera and, and crew? And well, it depends. If, if, if you got to listen to the fellas the past three hours, is it the jockey or is it the horse? It's a very, <laughs> very real question. In this situation – I think you blame the jockey and the horse. They had no business drafting Jamin Davis where they did, considering, and we'll go through huh, the best and worst of Ron Rivera's draft picks as the 4 o'clock hour rolls on here on the Team 980, but Jamin was put in a tough spot. He was on a bad Kentucky football team. He got drafted, expected to come in here and be that finishing piece. Think about the circumstances that were surrounding this football team when they took Jamin Davis. You're coming off of 2020 where your defense led you down the stretch. You limped into the playoffs at, what was it, 7-9-1 or 7-8-1? It was 7-9. 7-9, whatever it was. Mediocre, which is what the Ron Rivera era has been. The next year was supposed to be about how can we get over the top? Because they felt really good about themselves coming out of 2020. They were sniffing themselves. It was great. Jamin was supposed to be the guy that finished the defense. Jamin's, Jamin was supposed to be the finishing touch to me on Washington's defense. We were watching John Bostic run around during a playoff game, and it was a joke. We know that he is not a starting NFL linebacker. So Ron and company draft a backer, and he comes in, and it never really got going. At first it was, and this is Crazy to go back to 2021 to show some type of memory I have. You remember at first, Jamin wasn't even on the field. He couldn't get on the field at first. Like, that was an issue. The big question and the big topic was, how do we get Jamin on the field? Is it just third downs? Is he a situational guy? Now, for my money, you're drafting a linebacker in the first round. He, for damn sure, better be playing every snap. That's just bare minimum to me. But in 2021, didn't play a whole lot. Had his flashes during that season, too. Did he miss any games due to injury in 2021? It feels like he got nicked. I remember, was it the Denver game? Did he get hurt in that Denver game where Montez Sweat also got banged up? I may be making things up when I say that. But obviously his rookie season goes down, and it was clearly it was clearly a disappointment, right? They tried to put him in a position that he was not comfortable with. As the season progressed, they 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 fiddled around with it. Year two, though, of Jamin Davis, year two was supposed to be when the training wheels came off. Year two was supposed to be when he turned into an every-down player. Year two was equally as disappointing, if you ask me. Now, he took strides. He was, a, he was better. But the bar, to me, was set so low that, of course, Jamin had to be better uh, in year two. We already talked about the way this year started for him, the injury in the offseason, having to miss valuable practice time 
because you're in a Loudoun County courthouse, the writing is on the wall for Jamin Davis. And I'm not saying that with my chest puffed out. This is my football team. I love this team just the way you guys do. And the phrase that I've been using and spewing the last two or three weeks is the cupboard is bare. There's not a lot of talent on this football team. Jamin is one of the guys that will be under contract next year no matter what. I know some of you out there on Twitter needed some clarity about, you know, if they pick up the fifth-year option, does that mean he's not on the 2024 commanders? No, that's not the case. He is on next year's roster regardless. And I think Jamin, that's like a two, $3 million cap hit next year. It's not very big. He will be around. That fifth-year option, though, I know a lot of folks feel like it's a foregone conclusion that it doesn't get picked up. Assuming that it doesn't, because it probably doesn't, that's now back-to-back fifth-year options declined for old Riverboat Ron's first-round picks. And in light of Jamin having that season-ending surgery yesterday, I got your boy thinking as I was prepping for the show. What are the best and worst picks of the Ron Rivera era? What are the best and worst picks of the Ron Rivera era? I had to condense it because at first I'm thinking, well, why not? Why would we just go best and worst decisions, period? Let's just keep it to the draft. Worst and best draft picks of the Ron Rivera era. That's how we'll get things kicked off on the Ace Law listener line. If you're in a wreck, let Ace Law help you get a check. 1-800, excuse me, call 8888-ACE-LAW. Our number, 301-230-0980. What are the best and worst picks of the Ron Rivera era? We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, I want to look at the first round alone. Chase Young, Jamie Davis, Jahan Dotson, dare I say, Emmanuel Forbes. We'll look at some of the worst and best draft picks of the Ron Rivera era next, right here on the Team 9. It's the Hoffman Show, Team 980. We're always streaming live nationally on the free Odyssey app. It's the youngest in charge movement in for Craig Hoffman. Anthony, at what point in the show today do we get to out Craig Hoffman for why he is not here this afternoon? Uh, is he in jail? Is, is he is he having some sort of some sort of bad reaction post workout? Did, did did his pre workout give him a rash or something? You know, Craig Hoffman don't leave the house if he ain't looking right. So he disclosed this information yesterday, so everybody already. Oh, everyone knows. already knows how. Yeah, everybody already knows how how spectacular, how spectacular. I guess you weren't listening to the Hoffman show yesterday. At, at, from four to seven, <laughs> from four to seven yesterday, Anthony Haney, I will I will let you know, I was not listening to the Hoffman okay, show, but but I've been on a sports radio cleanse. Ah, believe okay. it or not, I said it to our our program director Chris Kennard about last week, because we're in that point of the season where I feel like we're all weathermen. No one can be wrong right now. There's so many potential hypotheticals that we can toss around for the next month. I said, you know what? I can't listen to my favorite show, The Hoffman Show. I can't listen to to the Chris Russell Show. I can't wake up for the junkies and Kevin Sheehan because I don't want to be influenced by all of the minutia that's being discussed. There's so many different scenarios that could play out here in the final month of the season. So for that reason, no, I was not listening to The Hoffman Show. Long story short. Thank you. (laughs) We'll get back to Craig Hoffman in a second. I want to continue to look, though, at the best and worst of Ron Rivera's draft picks. Year four here in D.C., he's made four first-round picks. One pro bowler out of those four first-round picks. But it 
really seems like with yesterday, Jamin Davis going on injured reserve, he's going to miss the final month of the season. There's huge, huge doubt about if his fifth-year option gets picked up. So I thought in light of that, it'd be a good time to go revisit history a little bit and look back at what Ron Rivera has done through the draft the past four seasons. Now, remind you, let me remind you all, when Ron first took over this job, do you remember what he promised us? Remember what he promised us? I'll do my best Ron Rivera impression. Well, the thing about it is I want to create a sustained winning culture. Well, how do you create a sustained winning culture? You got to hit on your draft picks. Got to. It is literally, to me, the number one thing that you must do in order to build said culture is hit on your draft picks. Let's go back to Ron Rivera's first draft. And let's think about the circumstances surrounding that draft as well. So Ron gets hired in what? January, right? Now, mind you, the draft board, not set at that point, but the scouts in-house have already done all the legwork, have already done all the dirty work. Months on end, you're out at college football games on the road trying to figure out who's going to be a part of this thing moving forward. So with Ron's first pick, I do think there was some influence from the man who actually set the draft board, Kyle Smith. He is now in Atlanta with the Falcons. So remember, that was right after Washington had just drafted Dwayne Haskins to be their franchise quarterback. So Washington has the number two overall pick. They go with Chase Young. At the time, I was drooling. I thought it was the best thing that would ever happen to this franchise. Hometown kid coming back. We know how impactful he was at Ohio State. And Chase Young came in and was a ball of fire from the get-go. What was it? Two and a half sacks in the opening game against Philadelphia. It's beautiful. Chase Young goes on to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Um, he's an Under Armour commercials. He's making that money, baby. It was all great. But at year's end, Ron Rivera, in a shot at Chase Young, I thought, warned folks locally and nationally that his team had a little bit of maturing to do. As to be expected, right? They were a young group that limped into the playoffs. We all know how the Chase Young story ends up unfolding. It got to a point where you went from Chase Young could do nothing wrong. Do you all remember? And this just shows how the Chase Young thing kind of just completely turned on its head. Was it after San Francisco, when they played the Niners in Arizona, was it Chase Young's mom calling him at the podium? And we ate it up. We loved it. Oh, Carla Young. We loved everything about it. We loved everything about it. Chase Young could do no wrong at first within this organization. Now, there are folks behind the scene that will tell you he was acting a fool from the get-go. But that's here nor there. I bring all that up to say I can't get upset with the Chase Young pick. In hindsight, obviously, it's tough because we know how the story unfolds. But I would give Ron Rivera, for his first first-round pick, I'd give him a B plus, A minus. I thought it was a home run pick. You can have revisionist history and act like, you know, Justin Herbert was the guy and you couldn't sleep unless Justin Herbert ended up in Burgundy and Gold. But let's call it what it is, right? Remember all the discussion about Justin Herbert pre-draft? People thought he was a weirdo. There was legit questions about his leadership ability. Uh, there was worry about whether he'd get into politics. They were worried about his off-the-field uh, beliefs and concerns. 
So I don't want to hear anyone talking about, oh, Ron missed. They could have took the quarterback right then and there. That's not the case. That's not the case. And we're just looking at first-round picks right now. Chase Young was the first one in 2020. It went from Chase Young being on the phone with his mom at the podium, turning around, FaceTime to reporters. Went from that to not showing up for voluntary workouts. And went from that to not lining up in a three-point stance. Which, honestly, to me, and we'll get to the Montez Sweat comments later on in the show, the fact that they couldn't get Chase Young to line up in a three-point stance tells you everything you need to know about Ron Rivera, testosterone-less Jack, uh, Jeff's big calf Scanina. Jeff Scanina is supposed to be some big badass that everyone's supposed to be scared of. They fired Sam Mills for this guy, yet Chase Young still not lined up in a three-point stance. But the culture, the culture's damn good. So we know how Chase Young finished up. We just went through Jamin Davis. Jahan Dotson. Last year's first-round pick. Now, if you remember, Washington traded back three spots. I believe they were at pick number 13. They traded back from 13 to six, five we're, spots. Yeah, five spots. They traded back five spots. Excuse me. We were at 11 and went to 16. To get Jahan Dotson. Yes, sir. Boy wonder in year one, correct? Couldn't do no wrong. Red zone savant. Bip, bip. I mean, it was literally unguardable, it felt like, at points during last year. He was... Our heavy hitter offensively. We know how bad Washington was offensively at points during the the season. He missed, what, seven games last year, but still ended up leading the team in touchdown receptions, I believe. So year one of Jahan, also fantastic. Him and Chase Young both got off to rocking starts to their young professional career. This year, though, Jahan Dotson has been a shell of himself. Now, we've had multiple nuanced discussions about whether that's the coach's fault, whether that's Jahan's fault, or that's Sam Howe's fault. At the end of the day, Jahan Dotson's production in 2023, simply not good enough for a first-round wide receiver. On the year, Jahan Dotson, 44 catches, 458 yards, four touchdowns still, but obviously not good enough. He goes catchless against Seattle. Just two catches against the Dolphins. Three catches for 23 yards against the Giants. It's not the Jahan Dotson that we were introduced to last year. And I wonder, because we were guilty of it locally, it happened nationally. To use one of Doc's phrases, we were licking Jahan Dotson like a damn ice cream cone this offseason. He was everyone's favorite pick to be most improved player, breakout player. If you ask anybody nationally, locally, they thought Jahan would break out this year. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Jahan not playing with detail consistently this year. Jahan showing bad body language after certain plays this year, frustrated that he doesn't get the ball. Jahan had a pretty critical drop in that first Giants game. So it has been far from perfect in terms of John Dotson this year. And then, this will be a short, quick tidbit. This year's first-round pick, Emmanuel Forbes, the NCAA FBS leader in career pick sixes. The guy that was supposed to come in here and transcend Washington's defense. 
I remember draft night like it was yesterday. Our draft day coverage here on the Team 980. It's myself, Scott Jackson, Denton Day. We rotated. And when they drafted Emmanuel Forbes, it's one of those picks where you're like, all right, bro, you better be right. You better know more than I know when it comes to drafting Emmanuel Forbes. Because if I'm not mistaken, one pick later was who? Christian Gonzalez. Christian Gonzalez. Boy wonder for Bill Belichick's defense through the first month of the season before he got hurt. So, obviously that pick was going to have scrutiny regardless because everyone's consensus number one corner was on the board and they passed on him. But they talked us into the pick. We bought it. We loved it. He was a darling during training camp. Sensational. Pass breakups out the wazoo. Preseason, up and down, that Baltimore game was not his best showing. But there was a ton of confidence in Emmanuel Forbes going into the year. And all that confidence went poof. Week two, on the road, in Denver. Marvin Mims Jr. Stepdaddy of Emmanuel Forbes for the afternoon. Hey, he got to pick that game. He threw the ball right to him. He threw it right <laughs> to him. Right, I see where saying. you going. Yeah. Find out she was a first-round pick of Ron Rivera, <laughs> the way you defended him. But, no, you get where I'm going with this. Emmanuel Forbes, another first-round pick under Ron Rivera that at least through year one has not lived up to the expectations. They were – somebody in the media yesterday asked Ron about Emmanuel Forbes' availability moving forward. He's going to try to practice this week. It doesn't sound like he's going to play again this year, if we're being honest. He got an elbow injury. He's already skinny. So having an elbow injury doesn't help your cause at all. That being said, Emmanuel Forbes, I'll give him an incomplete as well in terms of my grade for Emmanuel Forbes. But as we've gone through the last four first-round picks for Ron Rivera, there was one thing that all of them have in common. No sort of consistency, not enough game-changing impact plays. And as I said at the top of this segment, Ron Rivera, when he first took this job, his number one buzz phrase is, I want to build a sustained winning culture. How do you do that? You have to hit on your draft picks. Point blank period. Point blank period. We went through the first rounders under Ron Rivera. When we get back, we'll look at some of the ancillary picks, your second rounders, your third rounders little preview for you. The second round history, not very good. I want to take your calls on this, though, as well. Ace Law listener lines, wide open. 301-230-0980 is the number. In honor of Jamin Davis getting put on injured reserve yesterday, having his fourth season in the National Football League cut, or excuse me, his third season in the National Football League cut short. What are the best and worst picks of the Ron Rivera era? We've listed some of the picks. When we come back, though, I'll give you my best pick, and the pick that I think absolutely stinks under Ron Rivera. We'll let you hear from super producer Anthony Haney as well as take your calls. 301-230-0980 is the number here on the Hoffman Show. 301-230-0980 is the number on the Ace Law listener line. If you're in a wreck, Ace Law helps you get a check. Make sure you call 8888-ACE-LAW. Question right now on the Ace Law listener lines. You can tweet at me as well. It's at N-E-L-L underscore BTP. That stands for beside the point, not big time player. The way the two doofuses earlier said it. (laughs) 
And one of them's in here coughing and choking his lungs up. See, you blew your cover. But no, you can tweet at me with your best and worst picks of the Ron Rivera era. Um, I see all of you starting to get lined up on the phones here. Before we get to your calls, me and Anthony want to give you our best and worst picks of the Ron Rivera era. But even before we do that, talk about a tease, right? I want to look at some of the later round picks of the Ron Rivera era. And I want to go back to 2020, Ron's first draft. And boy, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight picks. Eight picks in the 2020 draft. Three of them ended up being every down players for you. Cam Curl in the seventh, Antonio Gibson in the third, and then Chase Young, obviously your number one pick. But outside of that, not a lot to write home about in the 2020 class. The hyphen, as Danny Rue likes to call him, James Smith Williams, was your last pick at pick 229, defensive end out of NC State. He has been a serviceable backup. Seven career sacks, played well, Uh, in absence of Chase Young last year. Really good guy in the community. Can't say enough good things about James Smith-Williams. He is just an all-around damn good person. But in the seventh round, that's what I expect you to draft. Someone that can be a depth piece, special teams, war daddy. Someone that can be a key backup for you. It's great. Cam Curl. Now, I remember Cam Curl from game number one. I believe Cam Curl's first NFL tackle was a tackle for loss. He blows up a screenplay in that 2020 game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Cam Curl has been a very pleasant surprise for this organization. And if it wasn't for his ridiculous reported contract demands, I would say that Cam Curl is one of those pieces that you build upon. Cam Curl is one of those foundational pieces that you want the rest of your guys to model themselves after. Seventh round pick. Never let that discourage him. Never let that stop his work ethic. I remember Jack Del Rio. And Anthony, tell me if you heard this story. So you remember 2020. Um, they couldn't get everyone together right away. Talking about the rookie class. A lot of their install happened on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And apparently this is where Cam Curl really won the hearts of this Washington Commanders coaching staff. Well, then Washington football team coaching staff. He was on it. Knew his responsibilities, knew the other DB's responsibilities, and they're like, who is this smart-ass seventh-round rookie? Obviously, it ends up being Cam Curl, and he played a lot of good football for this team. Their fifth-round pick in that draft, Khalid Cutson, somebody that I absolutely love. If he was two inches taller, probably would be a starter on this football team and one of the better players uh, at his position. Khalid Cutson has the speed. Khalid Cutson has the heart. Khalid Cutson has the mind. He is just physically challenged, as I will put it. He was a hybrid safety linebacker uh, in his college days at the University of Michigan. But I will continue to use this phrase to describe him. He is a war daddy. He is someone that you put him on special teams on your kickoff unit and he runs down and he smacks someone else in the face and it sets the tone for your football team and for the game. He is somebody that I think in the fifth round, some teams draft starters in the fifth round, I would say. So I'll tread lightly with my Khalid Hudson praise, but solid piece, someone that you can build around, someone that does everything the right way, their fifth-round pick, Keith Ishmael. We all know the story of Keith Ishmael. He was the one that took the pictures of Dwayne Haskins uh, in the strip club or at, at the, the COVID 
event, that the birthday party that Haskins had that ended up getting him cut. Keith Ishmael is the one that uh, recorded the video, so he is not only hot, but he doesn't play good football either. So there's that. That was their fifth-round pick in 2020. Antonio Gandy-Golden, their fourth-round pick in 2020. The Rubik's Cube Warrior, as I like to call him, ended up retiring. Was that this offseason or last offseason? Last offseason. He ends up retiring uh, out at training camp, so we know that pick turns into a bust. Sadiq Charles out of LSU, their fourth-round pick. Probably the most physically imposing offensive lineman that they have. Can't stay healthy, can't stay on the field. He has been a bust up to this point. Their third-round pick in 2020, Antonio Gibson, the weapon. Remember, that's how he was advertised coming out? I continue to say it. Antonio Gibson has been so poorly utilized by both Scott Turner and Eric Bieniemy Because you're not going to find 6'2", 225 pounds running 4'3". It just doesn't fall off of trees, ladies and gentlemen. He is a special freak in terms of height, weight, speed. He's a free agent this offseason. Let me tell you this. If Washington feels like, if this new regime that comes in feels like he's not a part of the future, Antonio Gibson will 100% have a job next year. I still think he is one of the more dynamic players on this offense. So it took us a little while to get through the entirety of the 2020 class. Can I just grade the class? I'm going to do that. Just grade the 2020 class. I'd give it a C for the 2020 class. Your most impactful player is Cam Curl. Chase Young makes the class look bad because he's the number two overall pick and he's now no longer on your team. So I give the 2020 class a C, C minus. The rest of Jamin's class, very interesting. Sam Cosby in the second, St. Juice in the third, Diami in the third, John Bates in the fourth, Derek Forrest in the fifth. They traded up for Cameron Cheeseman in the sixth round. Just idiocy. Then they go three seventh-round picks. William Bradley King no longer on the roster. Shaka Tony no longer on the roster. And Dax Milne no longer on the roster. When I look at the 2021 class, I kind of get geeked up. It's a good class. If you take out Jamin being a first-round pick that can't get his option picked up, it's a good class. Cosme turns into a rotational offensive lineman is what I'll call him. I'm not as high on Sam Cosme as others are here in this market. I think – for someone to play the guard position and you can't anchor in the NFC East when you got big-ass defensive tackles, he is a liability for you. So I don't really buy Sam Cosme, but he's a serviceable player. Benjamin St. Juiced, rough year for my boy. Diami, did you see Diami tweet that he could play defensive back? I did. I didn't know. He's a clown, bro. What, was he watching? I don't know. I don't I, know. Yeah, I don't know. Diami thinks he can play defensive back. I think he needs to learn how to play wide receiver. Uh, before he tries to switch to defense. He was a third-round pick. Just think about other third-round picks across the league, right? Like, people hit on their third-rounders. They turn into starters, pro bowlers. Our third-rounders are just guys. Deami Brown pony, and St. Juice. Who? One-trick pony. One-trick pony. That's the that's the bad part about it, is he can only run deep. He was the pick in the third. John Bates in the fourth. They love John Bates over in Ashburn. Their best in-line blocking tight end. I think he does some really good things. Sure-handed dude. Another culture-setting guy that I really like. He's stealing snaps from Cole Turner. So that's my only beef with him is that he can't get on the field or is that he's getting on the field over Cole. But it has nothing to do with John. Their fifth-round pick, Derek Forrest. Anthony, we were talking about Defoe before the show started. If we took this year out of the equation, he may be a nominee for the best draft pick overall. But obviously, what was it, the first six games of this season, he just wasn't very good. 
Yeah, very much out of place. I think last season and even the year before that, mm-hmm. when when he got his opportunities, he made the most of those Definitely. opportunities. And this year, it was just more so him. I mean, really, all of our safeties out of position yeah. all season long. It's not just sure. you know him. It's just everybody, everybody on the defense out of position. Yeah, I feel that, and it's crazy because he he dealt with a hamstring in his rookie year, and then last year it's my first time ever being out at training camp. He jumps off the page immediately, and I'm thinking, man, do I know more than somebody else out here? Because that would have been my starting safety. Obviously, the injuries of uh, hampered Derek Forrest here in the early part of his career. Camp Cheeseman, I, we're talking about worst picks. The fact that we traded up for him, and he can't even do the job right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That that may be my early nominee for worst pick. William Bradley King and Shaka Tony get involved in the gambling thing. Or was that just Shaka? I think it was just Shaka on the yeah, gambling thing. William Bradley King at Baylor, he was part of that Baylor program post-Art Bryles where they like where they were turning things around, and I think he played under Matt Rule. I thought he was going to be somebody. Never put the weight on, never turned into a legit pass rusher. Dax Milne, the best punt catcher in the world. <laughs> that just, it just is what it is. He was playing, oh, he was Zach Wilson's number one wide receiver at BYU. I forgot about that. Mr. Fashionova Mens himself. Dax Milne rounds out your 2021 class. I'd probably give that class a C plus if I had to give it a grade. And Defoe really makes that grade skyrocket because I am high on him. I, th- I think they're a B minus B. Really? Now, why are you so high on may- this may- class? Maybe B my- because if you take Jamin out. Well, if you take Jamin out. If, yeah, that's, that, that, if that's, that's how that's we do it. Heard. That's what I heard. You that's what I said. If you exclude Jamin, <laughs> this, this class, class. got geeked. So I, I would say B minus B. Eh. I'll probably lean B minus, to be honest. Benjamin St. Juice is the interesting one here. Because I think when a new regime comes in here and they see a 6-3 corner that moves the way Juice does and is built like he is, there's a future for him in the National Football League. I just don't know if it's as the team's number one corner. I'm high on him. I saw a stat that always floats around on uh, the PFF Washington Twitter and. He leads the league in deflections because they throw at him all the damn time. I was about to say. That's, like, that just is what it is with that. But, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I'll go C-plus for this class. I think if you take Jamin out of it, it looks pretty damn good. Last year's class, Jahan Dotson leads that class. Then it gets into one of your nominees for the worst draft pick of the Ron Rivera era. And my man Jalen Morgan, bleeding burgundy and gold on Twitter, one of the better fan accounts out there has been on Phil Mathis' line all year long. Big Phil, Big Phil follows a a recent trend of just horrible, non-impactful second-round picks. Can I just list off some of the second-round picks here in the recent uh, history of Washington? Quan Martin this year, Phil Mathis, not very good. Sam Cosby, I just gave you my spiel on him. They didn't have a second-rounder in 2020 and in 2019. 2018 second-round pick, Darius can't keep my hands off of women, guys. Uh, The 2017 second-round pick, Ryan Anderson, somebody that they tried to play out of position, square peg into a round hole situation. Sewer Cravens the year before that. Preston Smith may be the best second-round pick in the last decade for the Washington Commanders, and we all know how his career ended uh, here in D.C. doing darn good things, though, uh, with the Green Bay Packers. We're taking calls on this. In honor of Jamin Davis having season-ending surgery yesterday. What are the best and worst picks of the Ron Rivera era? 301-230-0980 is the number. We'll give our answers here real quick before we get to some of your calls. 
I'm going to say the worst pick of the Ron Rivera era has got to be Cameron Cheeseman. The fact that they traded up for a long snapper, and he's not the best long snapper in the league. Obviously, that's just high expectations, but he isn't a good long snapper at all. I think he's my worst pick. My best pick, my best pick of the Ron Rivera era, I would probably have to go, I'd probably have to go with Cam Curl. I really do like what Cam brings to the team. I do think he could be a culture-setting type of cat. I think he's super talented. I'm not paying him top five safety money, but he can get top 10, top 12 because he's a damn good football player. You have yours. I would definitely probably say Phil Mathis is the worst. And and maybe, you know, our second-round draft pick, you know, is cursed. Like, whoever we take in the second just doesn't seem to pan out. I might trade the second-round pick away this year. That's how we rocking, man. That's crazy. But I understood why they went out and got in field. You know, we had just lost Tim Settle. We cut Matt Ioannidis. But they shouldn't have – that's just another gaffe in Ron Rivera and them behalf. Why are you letting go of big big Timmy Settle? Exactly. So – I mean, but my thing also with getting Phil in the second round, like he's a run stuffer. He wasn't going to be like a three down. He was never a passer. Exactly. Right. So I didn't like to pick there in the first place. I like, right. I like you know, them going after him because we didn't know if Deron was going to, you right. know, it made sense. be back. It, it sort of kind of made sense, but I just didn't like it pick, getting uh, him picked there. And then uh, my best, my best. And mm-hmm. I think we were talking about this earlier when we were talking about just value. Uh, value value is important with this. Um, That's a big part of this. That's why Cam was my guy. Just strictly off of the value alone, yeah. he knocks his draft position out of the park. Is it is it a cop-out if I go Sam Howe? I mean, I love You know Cam what? Kerr. I, I didn't even think of that. And, I, you know, I love me some Sling and Sammy. But, no, that's. I would say Sam Howe. Um, okay. Especially if he goes out. And plays well over the next couple of games. Uh, and again, I've told Craig, I don't care if we win these games. Yeah, but if either. Sam Howe is out there putting up numbers, he's out there being able to avoid sacks. He's going through his progressions. He's uh, you know, using his legs, being a playmaker, positioning himself to possibly be our team's franchise QB. That's what I want. What else you, you know? ask for? Exactly. And I mean, the de- the defense can continue to be as bad as they've been all year. I want to continue to lose out. We got what we needed yesterday. We needed the Titans to go out there and win a game. Yep, they, they won. Did we it. needed the Giants to go out there and win a game. They did. The Bears won a game, and the Jets also won. So that's strengthening our uh, draft position. So that's all I want. I'm looking ahead to the next season, dog. Isn't that crazy? I wonder what Sports Talk Radio is like in Philadelphia right now or Kansas <laughs> City. Damn sure they're not talking about the draft. You can be certain about that. Just getting rolling, though, here on the Hoffman Show. First hour in the books. I'll, I'll guess I'll... Act like I know where Craig is because I do. Jury duty for the Hoffmeister. Just being a good citizen. Can't ask for more from my pal, uh, Craig Hoffman. We'll take a quick timeout. We come back top of the 5 o'clock hour as we do each and every day here on the Hoffman Show. Not my beat. Joining us today for Not My Beat uh, is the co-host or the host of the Washington Commanders, uh, Locked On Commanders podcast, our pal David Harrison. David, in that Commanders locker room on a day-in and day-out basis, and you heard what Montez Sweat had to say about that locker room on Sunday. We'll ask David his thoughts on Montez's comments and what he expects to see here in the final month of the season with the Burgundy and Gold. It's Team 980.